Hello, I'm Jen Watt. Welcome to the Schools of Wellbeing podcast. This podcast invites you to listen to conversations I am having with fellow researchers and academics who explain the schools of thought that influence what they think well-being and well-becoming means and how it connects to schools, students, teachers, educational leaders, and wider communities. I also have vibrant conversations with K-12 educators about the inspiring ways their schools are living out well-being and well-becoming. My motto for this podcast, come for the joy, stay for the flourishing. I'm so grateful you are joining us as we think about how to live well and thrive in schools. In the very last weeks of June, Principal Lucy Mayer and Guidance Counselor Sherry Alexander from Juniper School in Thompson, Manitoba graciously gave up a part of their afternoon to talk to me about well-being in their school. This amazing school has been involved in a WB2 project focusing on belonging through a lands-based program for grade four students. Grab your shoes for a great walk or get yourself settled into your favorite podcast listening position. This is an uplifting and inspiring conversation you don't wanna miss. I'm really excited to be here just at the end of the school year with two wonderful educators from the Mystery Lake School Division. Um, Thanks so much for taking time at the end of the very busyness of June to have this conversation with me. I'm wondering if you could each introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about the role you play in your school. Hi, Jennifer. Uh, Thank you for the, the opportunity to talk with you. My name is Lucy Mayer and I am the principal here at Juniper School. We are an elementary school of about 270 students. Yeah, thanks Jennifer for having us. My name is Sherry Alexander and I am the school counselor for Juniper School. Wonderful. I'm wondering if you can just let our listeners know a little bit more about your school, your division, um, you know, there's maybe people listening from across Canada and actually we have some people listening in different places in the world. Could you let us know where you're located? And then maybe just a little bit about what's unique about teaching and learning in your part of the world. Okay, so we are a community of about 1400 people. We are about 750 kilometers north of Winnipeg. Um, So we are definitely a northern community. Our division has six elementary schools, um, ranging from 250 kids to 550 kids, as well as one high school um, of about 1,000 students, um, which is where all our elementary schools um, end up going. Thompson is, like I said, a northern community with um, a fairly high Indigenous population. Um, So our particular school has about 80% Indigenous students that attend it. Um, If you're wondering where we're located, we are about seven and a half to eight hours uh, north of Winnipeg. Um, It is a uh, long drive, a short flight, but uh, we are quite a ways from Winnipeg. So um, even though we are a big city, sometimes uh, we can feel a little bit isolated just because we are way up in the north and uh, away from a lot of uh, other bigger centers. We are surrounded by beautiful boreal forest. We have lots of great fishing, camping, snowmobiling, all of those outdoor things. Um, This is a paradise for any of those outdoor advocates. We are 20 minutes away from a beautiful lake that lots of fishing and camping happen at. 
and we're pretty much near fishing minutes away, um, north and south of us. Lots of snowmobiling happens here, um, longer than most areas. <laughs> Our <season> has. <laughs> uh, yeah, snow a little longer than most areas, yeah. This year, unfortunately, yes, we have a lot of snow. <laughs> and we also, about half an hour uh, north of us, we have a ski hill. So um, really in our area, we have so many things to do if you enjoy the outdoors. Um, like Lucy said, camping and fishing, um, lots of snowmobile trails, skiing, um, just about anything that you would like to do, you can you can do here. And it is, it's one of the most beautiful places, um, I think anyway, in Manitoba. And the really cool part is in the summertime, we have sunlight till, the sun I don't think goes down till about 1130 right now. So it, our days are long and beautiful, so. Lots of opportunities for well-being for yourselves and your students as you get out and you enjoy that sunshine. It must make it rather dark at another part of the year, but we'll not think about that yet because <laughs> right now we're in the sun and enjoying that. Um, thank you. Thank you for painting that picture for us because I do think people in Manitoba, there a lot of us have a little bit of, you know, Winnipeg centric kind of thinking and it's great to be able to think beyond that. And I know that that does make a difference for the kinds of professional development opportunities, for the kinds of connections for students to certain kinds of, of opportunities and resources. But like you're pointing out, they actually have connections to all sorts of other opportunities that, that students in, in um, urban areas would not be able to even imagine. So, so thanks for painting that picture for us. Um, it's really exciting. And I think it really feeds into the work that you have been doing um, as part of the WB2 partnership, which is between Manit the Manitoba Association of School Superintendents, Manitoba Education, and the University of Manitoba. Um, so you became part of those partnerships and your division decided to focus, you could have a choice on what you wanted to focus on in terms of student well-being. And I'd just like to hear a little bit about what you chose to focus on in this project and why you felt it was a need for the students in your school. So part of what we decided to focus on was the mental health and well-being of students starting uh, in the middle years. Uh, we started to see that we were um, dealing with some issues uh, more so at the junior high, and that was, I think, the focus uh, initially with the pilot. Uh, we decided to go a little bit lower because we felt that the issues were happening way before they hit the junior high. And we looked at what were some of the things we could do earlier on so that we maybe were providing the education or some coping skills and strategies that would maybe benefit the kids earlier before they reach the junior high age. So we did focus um, on a grade four class. Part of that is because some of those things had already started to happen in our school. And a lot of that dealt with um, trying to focus on um, how kids felt a sense of belonging in our school, um, how the kids felt that they had a part or a place in our school. And we started with relationship building and um, the big focus was around land-based learning and land-based education. So trying to focus more on the things that maybe were important to the kids that were lost or become lost when they come to school. Um, and so we looked at how we could do more integrating of land-based learning and different components of that um, and how that impacted and affected kids and their feeling of sense of belonging and self-worth while attending school. 
We also noticed that there was a large number of students who weren't attending. And we could see that when they didn't attend, they didn't feel like they belonged because many times um, when you're not at school, the friends you have at school continue to hang out with one another and you're missing out on that. And you're missing a lot of that social, you know, social socialization with each other. And we were kind of wondering um, how we could kind of look at it in such a way that we could get the kids here. Once we got them here, what do we do to, you know, allow them to engage and feel that sense of belonging. And one of the things we kind of noticed that Lucy was saying was kind of going on was the land-based learning. And when we looked back on our attendance, we noticed that on those days, pretty much every child in that class was in school. And so we kind of were looking at what was going on, what was creating the, you know, increase in attendance and when they did come, how were they feeling about being at school? That's really interesting. Yeah, there's that that cycle, right? That, you know, you, you don't feel like you belong, so you're not as eager to attend, but then you don't attend, and that sense of belonging decreases even further. So that, so that's a really interesting approach about how do we how do we build that? And then how do we notice what happens when, you know, you're offering a different kind of experience at school that's really, you know, bringing in some of the things from their lives outside that might be really important. I think that's fascinating. Um, so when you're talking about land-based learning and, and this sense of belonging, like, how do you get started with that? What kinds of things do you do? And what does it begin to look like at your school? I think you have amazing teachers mm -hmm. who are not afraid to go out of their comfort zone and to learn and to invite elders in and to, you know, just explore and start doing some of the different inquiries that, that would have been brought forward. But I think in part, it was, it was really a group of teachers who really felt that that land-based um, learning was being um, left out in our school and really felt that it was definitely needed. And as you know, we go along, we'll see that it definitely was needed. So some of that was also the conversations about looking at prior knowledge and what our kids had to connect to. And some of our kids were reading about things that they had very little prior knowledge or very little things to connect to. So they didn't have that background to be more engaged and more involved in their learning. So that definitely was a vehicle to help with that piece. Um, we also have been part of some cultural proficiency teaching and learning in our division for a number of years that was steered from our superintendents and that has helped the teachers um, in their learning journey about what it land-based can be and what it involves and just appreciating the culture and the different um, cultures within our area, within our country, um, especially Northern Manitoba. Cree is the dominant <clears throat> culture in the area. And so those are some of the things that we have definitely learned from our surrounding um, communities. So that, I'm guessing, meant quite a bit of partnership and collaboration. <clears throat> were you uh, working in collaboration with elders as you were starting to think about this and, and having those kinds of conversations with, with people from the communities? Most definitely. Um, we have seen more and more being invited into our schools and they're um, a lot more open and willing to share some of their stories and their teachings. 
and we've definitely partnered with a lot more agencies and other um, organizations in our community that have helped us do some of those um, opportunities, some of those teachings and bring them right into the class. Our teachers have been planning some of those things in collaboration. So it's been multi-grade, multi-ages, which has also added to that. Um, we see um, more kids at the older grades supporting our younger grades. That has been supported in our school by also the, the program um, that we do around the virtues. And in our school, we do multi-aged, multi-grade groupings where we meet um, once a month that we call virtue groups where we do an activity. And those are planned and geared around various art activities or um, some sort of activity that we can engage multi-aged kids in. But again, around building relationships and a sense of helping others and building empathy um, so that we learn to help one another. I was just going to say, I think that part of our school, um, the foundation of it, is to make our school feel like a community. It's taken a few years, right, to get everybody to kind of feel like this is their place and this is their school and that we all care. Um, so I think that that's part of it is that we work really hard to be a community and what we were finding was that the older kids didn't know the little kids and there was no uh, mingling um, or asking for help because everybody felt so separated. By doing the Virtues Projects and having the multi-group and uh, age groups together has built such amazing um, foundations in our building so that when kids are out on the playground, they know that older child maybe and they'll ask for help or the older child will know that younger child and will provide some assistance. And I think that um, the land base is a, is a big part of it, but I think that a few years ago when we really decided that we wanted to change um, the feeling in the building, that Virtues really helped us. And then the land base came along and just kind of, um, you know, brought us even closer, I believe. And uh, we wanted the kids when they graduated for or promoted, whatever you want to call it, from grade eight, we wanted them to still see this as their home school and not just a building they went to. And I think that we've kind of been successful in that, in that um, the kids do feel that connection. And that was really important for us. That's been a natural piece where the older kids, like the land-based has been a grade four, a grade one, two class and a kindergarten class working together. This year it was a grade one, a grade one, two class and a grade four that worked together just because the teacher switched grades. Um, but those kids got a second year um, out of that because the teacher looped with them. And so um, it was very beneficial that the connections that the kids got to do um, to prepare and work um, together on the what the land base looked like, but they had monthly meetings. So there was a weekly um, activity that they did together, um, which built into um, a full land based day that they prepared for that happened in the spring last year they were planning the second one this year um, that didn't quite happen with COVID but um, it's not off the books and it will be happening next year and I think that their planning is to increase another class with that grouping. That's great and I am so sorry uh, like 
everyone else in the world, the, all these effects of COVID is is sad. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit too. So I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that your, your children didn't get to have that experience of the land-based day this year. But could you bring us back to the year before and give us a little sense of what were some of the things that you did during that land-based day when you were able to do it in person about a year ago? So they spend quite a few months planning it with a lot of help from elders and we have some school board personnel that also help um, and teachers within the building. But it usually involves food preparation. So they have a feast in the end. Um, last year they were involved in learning how to goose hunt. Um, we set that all up right in our own school yard. Um, we had a little lake, so to speak. It was a puddle that was in the middle of our, our um, playground at the time, which they um, adapted and, and called it the Juniper Lake. And they had little decoy ducks swimming in there. Um, they pretended to duck hunt. They plucked a duck. They built fires. They had um, tents set up. They were making bannock. Stews. A stew. What else did they do? They had traditional teachings. Um, so we had elders here that were teaching them about furs, um, teaching them about trapping, um, and the kids rotated throughout the day to the different stations to get uh, a little bit of everything. And they quite enjoy the day. Um, it's all held outside, uh, besides the in and out that they come in, especially when they're doing the food preparation. They join them in a meal together. So that is always, food always brings people together. So that's always a positive thing. And get to take in the stories that elders um, come and tell them. They make tea um, on an open fire, many things of that nature. And every year that they've had them, this has been the third year, um, there's always been kind of another little twist. Um, a couple of years ago when they did the first one, it involved cutting uh, moose meat up, learning how to properly do that. Um, so they've added different aspects each year. That sounds amazing. Thank you for, you know, walking us through that so that we can imagine what a, you know, that's one of those days that you just don't forget. It's one of those days that you carry with you about school and that you, I mean, we don't remember every math lesson or every English language arts class, but some of those days where you get to do those things are the ones that, you know, we carry with us all the way through our lives. So um, that's really awesome to hear what was going on with that. When you thought about it in terms of connection to student well-being as you started to look at it through this project, I was wondering if there was any things that you learned about student well-being, either from your process of data collection or from just noticing the kids. Were there any surprises or um, things that jumped out to you about this connection between land-based learning, belonging, and, and well-being? Well, part of, I guess, our data collecting was doing some interviews with the students. Um, and just asking them some, you know, basic questions and, you know, how did they feel about coming to school those days and that kind of stuff. I think that one of the questions that was kind of interesting was um, just even asking them things like what, what is there about the school that you like or is there anything you can change. Um, so that was kind of interesting to have them talk about it and a lot of them did talk about the virtues and how um, by doing the virtues since and these kids were in grade four when we talked to them. Um, but being in virtue since kindergarten for them and working them their way up, they really felt that they did have those connections. One of the questions, um, and I can't remember how the question was asked, but the kids did say that on the, 
on the days that they did um, land-based, the land-based big project, or you know the inquiries in the classroom. Um, oh, it was how do you feel during these days and learning opportunities? And a few of them actually said they enjoyed it. The topics were very difficult, but they enjoyed the topic and they learned a lot. The other piece of what came out in when we were collecting the data and talking to the kids is that almost all of them talked about how they went home and talked to their families about mm. what they had learned. And some of the families were really surprised that they had had those kind of conversations, but also really interested in the fact that this is what their kids were learning and it opened up a lot of conversations between the home. So I think that when we were looking at this data, it kind of was, the kids were telling us about their well-being at school, but also their well-being with their families. And I yeah. think that a lot of these kids were reconnecting with parents um, because some of the teachers were actually sending home homework to the parents <laughs> and asking them, you know, to talk to their children about these things or what did they understand um, reconciliation to be and different things like that. And I think the kids really enjoyed getting the adults out of their comfort zone. Part of that was I walked into one of those classes and I got a homework assignment on what reconciliation meant to me and the kids gave it to me and told me I had to have it in by the next morning. Ooh, that's a big task. It was. Exactly. And they wanted to see what I had to say. So so it was really cool that they were feeling like not only were they learning, but they were also teaching others and opening up conversations. So that's kind of what I feel I got out of, out of the data. That's amazing. And I just, I get, I'm going to jump in there a little bit, just thinking about this time in our world right now, where there are so many conversations about systemic racism, about how important reconciliation is and, and where does that, where do we start to make those conversations happen? Where do we start to make that change so that it gets better for, for minoritized people in our, in our country and in our world. And so I'm really touched and moved by that when I'm hearing that, thinking about it in the context of, of so many of the, the protests that are happening at the moment, et cetera. And, and those conversations that are so needed both at home and at school and, and for the kids to give teachers and guidance counselors and principals the homework of like, hey, like you're, you need to think about this too is, so powerful so i thank you for sharing that part of the data with us that's that's a really important thing for us all to be thinking about right now so but i sorry i kind of jumped in while you guys were midstream so was there anything else that you wanted to share about uh what you learned from your students during this time well one of the things that i think was overwhelmingly um a common comment in the data was the comment about feeling good um they felt good when those days happened um, and I think that with that came um, feeling proud um, that some of the things that maybe was not always celebrated or looked at or taught in their school environment was being done. And it was a little bit more of a connection to maybe their culture, some of the things that maybe they heard grandma and grandpa talking about, which they didn't always bring. Um, but it was kind of an overwhelming, it kind of happened lots. I felt happy about the day. I felt happy being able to share this with my family. I was, uh, it was a good day. And 
it showed because the attendance was 100% that last year when these kids were all here. And it definitely was not 100% on most days with that group, but they wouldn't miss anything like that. The impact that we see it having on families, I think that it has brought more of the parents into our school as well. And the teachers have taken those opportunities to invite and interview families and making them more part of so that we're celebrating them while and through the voice that the kids are sharing with us. And so we're trying to empower them unlike the question that they ask us so that it's not just one-sided and that we want to hear their voice and opinions about some of the things that they are learning. And they also mentioned it not being work. It didn't feel like they were doing work. They knew they were learning, but it wasn't so much work. Yeah, and that I think is a big part about when we think about our own well-being as teachers and, and people in schools too, the, the days where we probably have the best well-being are the days where it doesn't feel like work. It just is that that sense of joy or, or flow or whatever that is. Yeah, that's exciting to hear. I was going to say too that, and again, a lot of the topics that they talked about in the classrooms were very difficult, um, hard topics. But the teacher basically was helping them realize that the topics that they're talking about are people that we may know. And it's not just something written down that we just discuss. These are real people things have happened to. And by doing that and allowing kids, like for example, the murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls, the kids actually were looking at local people who have gone missing or, you know, nobody knows where they are or they have been murdered. And they were looking at local people and realizing this isn't just a story. It happens here and these are the people affected. And even though the topic was a difficult one, the images and the learning and the opportunity that these kids got from that teaching, they're very compassionate. They're very understanding. And the empathy that came from that as well was just absolutely amazing. So there's so much that they learned over those two years. And um, yeah, we're just really impressed with seeing, even though they're talking about really difficult stuff, that this isn't work, but they're learning. And I think that that's a, a really good thing that you're, you're bringing up and that, you know, that we need to think about and, and challenge a little bit um, sometimes. I think sometimes we have this sense that well-being is a lack of challenge or a lack of difficulty or a lack of, you know, in, in some cases, illness, right? You know, um, but it's it's not that. It can be that you can have a very strong sense of well-being even within the most difficult of conversations, of the most uncomfortable, the most frightening. That doesn't mean that there has to be a lack of well-being in it. And and then that that idea of well-becoming that sometimes we have these difficult conversations at various stages in our lives because it will help our overall well-becoming at different stages in our lives as well. When we're facing the difficult, we know that we we can have that well-being and that well-becoming and and that sense of belonging longing even within the difficult. So um, it's, I think, really powerful and important work you're doing. I was going to switch a little bit to COVID if you're ready, unless there's anything else that you wanted to, to say a bit more about the, the land-based. I think that those opportunities with the land-based, I just want to add that I think I just, um, as an administrator in the school, I just see the increased level of empathy that I see across the kids and how they're helping each other. Um, they're very willing to do that. 
Um, I think that it's the things that they're learning, but how they're learning that it's coming to that. And they do take pride in their school. That's definitely a big change that I've seen over the last few years. Um, they will help one another, but the empathy um, towards their schoolmates, uh, classmates, but in the community, um, we see it spill outside of our school and into the community and the world because they've done some projects that they've um, spearheaded that uh, extend as far as Africa. So for sure, we are seeing that empathy and um, doing good for others and appreciating each other's differences um, and the importance it is to celebrate that. That's beautiful. And, and I, I think that comes into what this next question is too, that we are in this time of COVID-19 and uh, your students are only beginning to be able to be back to meet in person or connect with the teachers and caring adults that are so obviously in your school. Um, how have you continued to support student well-being in this time of social distancing or what did you find were challenges or the unexpected gifts and uplifting examples of the ways your school stayed connected during these times? Well, the teachers during this whole time have been busy calling Zooming, FaceTiming, keeping connected um, just by conversation um, was one of the very key things. Um, there were home visits. Um, we did have the opportunity to have the kids um, back in school this last month on invite. And I definitely saw the excitement when the kids were here, the teachers just wanting them back. And they keep telling me that they want things to be back to normal. They want the kids back in school. I think we're all wishing and hoping for that, but for sure, the importance of keeping our relationships with the kids has been very important. Um, we have done videos for them. We have recently done a video song that our music teacher wrote that we posted and, and sang to them with some dancing we were coasted to do, but <laughs> we have done a lot of things online and virtually to help keep our connection with them and not let them know like and to continue to let them know that we care about them and miss them and we are looking forward to the day that they're back in here full time and speaking as um, a counselor um i found covid was very difficult like everybody else but it was hard to connect um with kids um lots of kids went back to their home communities um so you know we're trying you're trying to phone like lucy said and do zoom I chose to create a Facebook account that parents and students could go on. And every day I posted, you know, three or four different items on mindfulness and, you know, how to cope during this difficult time and yoga and trying to send out a lot of positive websites or inspirational quotes or whatever to hopefully help the kids during this time since we couldn't always be connected. And I know on our school page, we also were sending lots of information out to parents on, you know, things you can do with your kids during COVID and mental health strategies and coping strategies. And um, so it was difficult, but I'll tell you when our doors were able to be open at the beginning of June, you this building and these people in the building were the happiest you've ever seen them. We missed our kids. We know our kids missed us and it was just, uh, it kind of felt like there was a little bit of normalcy. Mm -hmm. And so we were all so, so excited to see our kids. Oh, that is very heartwarming. And, uh, and it does, it just fills me for hope for next year. So what do you hope you might continue or expand in your school's deliberate approach to students' well-being next year? 
Well, in the midst of all that, we have um, some set programs that we feel have been valuable, along with some of the land-based learning that we've integrated into the school. Mrs. Alexander here, our counselor, does do the Friends program in the grade four room, as well as Kids in the Know. So we focus and are going to continue to focus on building those skill sets in kids. The mindfulness has played a big part in that. And so I'm hoping to see that continue when we hear the kids kind of saying back what we have said to them in terms of some strategies is really rewarding, or we have witnessed them telling that same line to another kid. Oh, don't forget, use your breathing with your hands and so on. Um, so when we see some of that, those strategies being shared amongst themselves, um, it's really rewarding that the kids are trying and using some of the coping strategies and the strategies that we've tried to teach them to build their resiliency, to build their um, sense of belonging and how to problem solve and how to figure things out so that it's not a, a question or a problem that can't be solved and that we can get through this together and we can figure things out. So continuing to figure out how to problem solve and, and, and how those coping strategies are important as well as to continue to grow um, what the land-based in our school looks like. Each year we've been able to add a grade to it, and I think that that's the plan moving forward into the new school year. The other part would be to um, include as many grades as we can, um, uh, because as these kids move up through the grades, um, I want to see that they continue to get to experience that in the various grades um, in some sort of aspect of always getting to participate in some sort of land-based piece. And it's pretty much happening, something's happening at pretty much each grade. We did receive a grant this year that didn't get used, which we'll, we will use next year um, to help us host bigger or another land-based day. So we will definitely use things like that to our advantage. Um, but for sure, giving the kids the opportunity to connect as much as possible to their culture and um, where they come from and what makes them them and to celebrate them, I think is really important. And I hope that we can continue to, to see that happen. The other really amazing thing about this school is, and you might have noticed it as we're talking, but relationship building is huge in this building. Our teachers don't just own their children in their classroom. Every child in this building, you know, belongs to our community. And so a lot of the kids through virtues, through land-based, through lots of different activities, know the majority of the teachers in this school. And it's really cool to see. And there's lots of um, teachers who are looking at the younger kids and talking with them and building relationships because they know someday that child is going to come to them. And I think that that's one of the one of the impressive things about our building is that everybody cares about every child and we all have relationships throughout this entire building, not just with our class, not just with our age group. Um, so I think that's really big and um, I hope uh, we've heard people say when they walk into our school that there is that feeling of community and we really want that. Um, because we really want parents to be sending their kids to us. We really want kids to be here every day so they're learning, so that their well-being is, is in a better place and that they have that sense of belonging. And that's, yeah, that's our, our big goal. Oh, I am um, 
I almost have goosebumps when I hear you all talking. And uh, I, when I heard the phone ring, I was reminded of just how busy your lives are as principals <laughs> and guidance counselors. And so you being willing to take this time at a busy time is, is so appreciated. And I do think it's a message that uh, so many of us can learn from. Uh, just one final question. Um, I've already heard so many takeaway lessons for myself as an educator and ones that I hope my, my teacher education students, the ones that are going to be future teachers here as well. But do you have any other takeaway lessons or ideas for other schools or divisions to increase student well-being and well-becoming? Is there anything else that you think that is like, if you could take one thing from our school or, or, or one key thing, what would it be? Being there for one another and caring for one another, it's about people. Um, even as educators, we're in the people business. And if we're not taking care of each other and tending to each other's needs that way, we're not going to be able to learn. Um, so we have to start there. Um, and that comes with looking at who we are um, as individuals and what um, we want out of life and how we can help each other to get to a better place. And that building of community that we have here um, at a school base, growing into our community that we live in, um, being Thompson here, and that that can go within our province and beyond. And so I think that those are key things um, to help us start and, and putting the kid in the right frame of mind and in the right place so that they can learn that other stuff, the arithmetic and the mathematics part and the reading and the writing. Uh, because if they're not in a good place internally, then we have we struggle with the rest i was going to say too i think part of it is stepping outside your comfort zone and being willing to learn along with the kids and i think that that's something i've learned um working with kids is that they may come to me thinking i know all the answers and i'm going to be the first one to tell them i don't but i know someone who can help us or we can figure out who can help us but sometimes it's stepping out of our comfort zone um, because I think a lot of the teachers that have been involved in the land-based and, and in this school have stepped um, out of their comfort zone to learn to be able to teach the kids. Plus the kids have gotten out of their comfort zone to learn a lot as well. So I think just that mutual respect and being willing to maybe find the truth just because we were taught a certain way doesn't mean that that's really how it actually is and being open and listening and just, you know, having showing respect and lots of different things like that to kind of just be open and, and supporting one another. That's so very true. I've had lots of conversations in my office with teachers that have come kind of scared to try new things. And the one thing that I do is encourage them because if they've got an idea, I really encourage and support that. There hasn't been too many things that I have said no to because if they've got an idea, it came from somewhere and, and I encourage them to build on it. And it, it usually only goes to better and bigger things. And we are very lucky. And I'm not just saying it because she's sitting here, <laughs> but we are very <laughs> lucky to have such amazing administrators because they are letting us kind of, you know, think outside the box and be able to teach kids in maybe different ways than, um, Maybe other people are teaching them, but giving them those opportunities and opening it up so that kids can find where they belong. They understand who they are. So, I mean, we're very lucky that we do have administrators who uh, are behind us 100% and are like, absolutely go for it. So that's awesome. Oh, thank you for that. 
I think we're very lucky to have a school like yours, educational leaders like the two of you and the amazing teachers, it sounds like you have in your schools and families and the students who are also teaching one another. And I'm just really, really grateful that you were able to have this conversation with me today. And uh, I think it will really make wonderful summer listening or listening at whatever time people come to this podcast and learn about, about your amazing school and what you're doing with land-based and belonging. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. It was nice talking to you as well. Schools of Wellbeing is hosted by me, Jen Watt. It is executive produced by Jen Watt and the amazing Rebecca Herringer. It is also edited by the yet more amazing Rebecca Herringer. The beautiful music is composed and performed by a recent Bachelor of Education student from the University of Manitoba, Malcolm Eric Astia-Summers. This podcast is funded through support from my University of Manitoba Research Startup Funds. It is hosted on the Wellbeing and Wellbecoming in Schools in Canada Research Initiative website, which is available at wellbeinginschools, all one word, dot ca. Please feel free to email me comments or suggestions at jennifer.watt at umanitoba.ca or leave a review wherever you downloaded this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Be well, everyone.